The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now, I'd like if you would, if you'd open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Uh, We've just finished the long study that we've had on the church, and I've stopped numbering messages on the church. And uh, But we're not really going to be very far from that subject. And tonight, we actually do return to something about the church again, because I very well could have included this message in the series that we had on the church, and we could have called this things that you have to do in order to be a good church member. And this evening, I'd like to talk to you about quitting. And as you see, I did return tonight. I didn't quit this afternoon, but I am back tonight. And I'd like to talk to you on the subject of quitting. And as I say that, I really don't have anyone in particular in mind. I mean, I haven't picked somebody out in the congregation, and I'm directing the message to you. I'm just trying to encourage all of us that when those times come that you're tempted to fall out of the work, you get tired, things aren't going the way that you want them to go, and so you feel like giving up. I find it interesting about pastors that there may come a time when a pastor is too old or too sick to carry on the work of the ministry like he used to do in pastoring a church, and so he might have to retire because the work becomes too much for him. And believe me, I do understand this because my my father, when he was younger than I am, had a heart attack in the middle of a building program for the church. So I I know what stress can do to you, to what it can do to a pastor. It is a very stressful occupation, and that's not a complaint of any kind. That's just the way that it is. And sometimes pastors do have to retire. They just, their health just isn't taken any longer. But I've always found this to be the case, or almost always the case, that you don't find pastors, at least ones that have actually served the Lord faithfully, that ever give up on the Lord's work. Even when you find a retired pastor, uh, one who can't carry on the ministry any longer, yet still that's a man who's helpful to others. He may help another church. He may preach from a, on occasion. Uh, uh, he may counsel with others. And that's a great blessing to us that are still in the ministry to seek out the years of wisdom and experience that a pastor has had. But I, I also do believe that that is the same kind of commitment that ought to be in the minds of all Christians. I mean, the qualifications of a pastor, if you look in the Scripture, those are good for anybody that's a Christian. Uh, the, the Lord didn't just give us that and say, well, only pastors need to be this way. Pastors must be that way. But average church members, those that don't fill the pulpit, they need to have the very same qualifications as well, and it's, and it's good for them to have that. But I'm just trying to point out to you that there is never a time for any Christian, I don't care how old you are, just to step out and not do the Lord's work any longer. Now this evening, I'd like to call your attention to one verse of Scripture that we find here in Acts chapter 13, that is one verse for our text. The text first is verse number 13, which says, Now when Paul and his company loose from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, let me catch you up on what led to this particular scripture. If you'll look back in chapter 12, in verse number 25, the scripture says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And then continuing on into chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And then going down to verse number 5, And when they were at Salamis... They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to their minister. Now, the person of interest that relates to verse number 13 is John Mark. Now, we're not talking here about the Apostle John. We're speaking of 
John Mark, who was the author of the Gospel of Mark, and who was also the nephew of Barnabas. Now, Acts chapter 13 is the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey in which he and Barnabas were were traveling companions, and they took with them John Mark, who was to assist them in the ministry. And this, what we read here, is the start of several years of Paul's interesting travels in the book of Acts as he was fulfilling God's purpose for him being called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And I might also add that as we look at this in verse number 2, that you see that it's Barnabas and Saul, and Barnabas is the one who is the most prominent. Also in verse number 7, it says Barnabas and Saul. And then we get down to verse number 13 in our text, and it's Paul and his company. And from that point, Paul becomes the dominant missionary and the dominant character of the New Testament. So this was the first missionary journey. It begins in this chapter, and Paul and Barnabas had been commissioned by the church at Antioch, and from there, on this journey, they began traveling out from Antioch by land, and they went to Seleucia, and when they arrived there, they took a ship and they sailed to the Mediterranean island of Cyprus. They landed on the eastern end of that island at Salamis, and that's where Paul preached in the Jewish synagogues. From there, the scripture says they continued throughout the island until they came to the other side, to the western end, and the city of Paphos. Now, just to fill you in a little bit about that place, uh, Paphos was dedicated to the worship of Venus. Venus is known as the goddess of love, and the way that we know that is because Frankie Avalon sang and prayed to her and said, God of Venus, goddess of love, that you are, surely the things that I ask can't be too great a task. And those of you that are older, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you younger have no idea who Frankie Avalon is. So, But that's what he prayed. I'm not sure if Venus actually answered that prayer. But after they finished at Paphos, they sailed in a northwesterly direction to Perga. Perga was in Pamphylia, which is on the southern coast of what is now Turkey. And most of these cities where Paul traveled in the Roman Empire had some kind of connection to one goddess or god or another. And the city of Perga, the goddess that was their goddess, was the goddess Diana. Uh, Diana was the goddess of the hunt. Later known, later known, she was later known as the goddess of the moon. And you might be familiar with her because her brother was Apollo. And it was Apollo's job to get the sun up in the morning and to pull it across the sky with his chariot. And all of that is about as plausible as the Big Bang Theory for how the universe works. And it's small wonder that Paul talked about the dumb idols of the Greeks and the Romans. And I do believe that if Paul was alive today, he would speak about and preach about the dumb scientists who propose equally ignorant theories about how the universe works. But it was in this place of Perga that the trouble started. It was here that John Mark had enough of traveling, and he decided that he would quit the missionary journey. Now, in verse number 13, the way that it's stated there, it really doesn't appear to be too serious of a matter, but it actually was. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. The subject is the qualities of a quitter. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, I'd like for us to notice first tonight the character of a quitter. And that seems to be a good place for us to start, to speak about the character of a person who begins and then quits. Even a casual reading of the text here would show us that, um, well, it would give us an idea that what John Mark did was not a good thing. It wasn't a good thing for him to quit. I mean, this was such an important missionary journey. Here we have what we might call a prototype for missionary work. Paul showed us actually how it should be done in this first missionary journey. And for someone to start out with these two great men that were preaching the gospel of Christ and to quit, we would just have to say that that's not a very good character trait especially considering who these two men were that John Mark had just left. Paul and Barnabas were exceptional characters that we find in the New Testament. They were outstanding in their willingness to give everything that they were for the cause of Christ. Now, you're, of course, familiar with this in the case of the Apostle Paul. 
uh, you know much about him. He becomes, as I said a moment ago, the dominant character of the New Testament. And uh, all the rest of, uh, of, uh, of the New Testament, the epistles and so forth, uh, have a lot to say about Paul. In fact, Paul wrote 13, possibly even 14 of the New Testament epistles. But we don't really have a whole lot of information about Barnabas. But what the Bible does say about him is all good. Except perhaps for one incident, and that's maybe, uh, we don't really know so much about that, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it in just a moment. But except for that one incident that's just a little bit doubtful, everything that's said about Barnabas in the Scriptures is very good. Now, we know that Barnabas loved the ministry. He sold out for the ministry of Christ. And I actually mean that he literally sold out for Christ. We find him at the end of Acts chapter 4 where it says that he sold all of his land and he brought the money, the proceeds for that sale, and gave it to the church. And Barnabas stands in contrast to two people that we find in Acts chapter 5, that's Ananias and Sapphira, those two people that claimed that they gave all to Christ or gave all the money for their property when actually they didn't. So looking at Paul and Barnabas, we find two men that are a great character and anyone that would abandon two men like this would have to be a person that's very suspect. Now, regarding the seriousness of this departure... An examination of language shows us just how traumatic that this actually was. Now, in our English version of the Scriptures in the King James, we don't really see this very well. But J.A. Alexander, who has an excellent commentary on the book of Acts, talks about this word departed, that John Mark departed from them. And he says that the word doesn't mean that this was just a mere separation from them, but that the word actually means a secession or desertion. And he says elsewhere it's used in the Scriptures in a very unfavorable sense. Later in the book of Acts, the subject of Mark's departure comes up again, and Paul used a strong word to describe it. Now, the word in the King James is still the word departed, but that very same word is used in other passages where it talks about falling away, where it talks about apostatizing from the faith. This is the way that Paul used the word in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so you can see by the word that's used in Scripture and how Paul used this word that this was a very serious breach, that this was a, an unholy lack of commitment, and Paul denounced that in the strongest of terms. Now, let, let's take just a moment to examine and see why an abandonment of duty is such a terrible character flaw for a Christian. Well, what can we say about it? Well, I think first we would have to say that Quitting is unfaithful. It's being unfaithful. And what is it that's expected more of a Christian than faithfulness? And so uh, the most obvious character flaw that we see here in John Mark is that he was not faithful to keep his word. Now, in the beginning of the chapter, there were prayers that were offered up that God would send these men out as missionaries. And I'm sure that in those prayers, there would have to have been a call for faithfulness that the church would pray for this, keep these men faithful, because this was a very difficult journey that they were about to go on. There would be much hardships on that journey, many perils that they would face, and they would be tempted to turn back, just as John Mark did. And so I'm sure, without hesitation, that that church prayed for the faithfulness of these men. Well, John Mark was chosen to go with Paul and Barnabas to minister to them. He was what you might call the support team. Just like a pastor needs good men and women to support the ministry with, with help, uh, the work of the ministry, so Barnabas was the one who was to help, John, uh, help Barnabas and Paul. Now, the pastor has the indispensable task of studying the Word of God and presenting the Word of God to the people. And there are many things that go on in the church that would take the pastor away from that kind of work and giving the time that studying and preaching the Word of God deserves, and he may be pulled away into other tasks, and that's exactly the reason that we need faithful members of the Lord's church to take up some of those duties, to take on those responsibilities, so the pastor does not have to deal with those particular issues. 
And so we ought to have in the church Christians who are willing to sacrifice, whether it's time or money or talent, to help in the ministry of the work of the Lord and to have faithfulness in that because we can't do the Lord's work effectively unless we have the faithfulness of God's people. Now, Paul wrote about the priority of faithfulness in 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 2, where he said, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And that's what all of us are as servants of the Lord. We are stewards of God's work, stewards of the talents that God has given us, and God expects us to be faithful. And it's impossible for us, for us to accomplish the task that God has given unless we, we have this characteristic that we are faithful to the work. Now, of course, uh, we have the problem of many people in the church that never start in the first place. I mean, they're just not going to do anything. They're not going to offer to do anything. They're going to sit, watch, listen, whatever. But they're really not going to do anything. That's a problem in churches. But we also have this problem that there are many people that start out in the ministry. They say that they're going to do something. They volunteer to do something. They say, I will be there. But then they stop. And they, they start and then they quit and they leave the job unfinished. At the first sign of difficulty, when it really starts to get hard, you're going to find some people that will quit. They'll just fall out of the work of the Lord. Albert Barnes, who was also a very capable commentator, said, a minister should be faithful for obvious reasons. And then he lists the reasons. He says, number one, he should be faithful because he has been appointed by Christ. And of course, there couldn't be a greater appointment than that than to have the Lord Jesus tell you, this is the work that I want you to do. Secondly, he says, he must answer to him. That's important as well. God's going to call us into account for doing what he's told us or how we perform what he's told us to do. Thirdly, he said, the honor of Christ and the welfare of his kingdom is entrusted to him. Christ has no one to do his work but us. There's no one on the earth that's going to do his work but his people. And so he expects us to do it. And then fourthly, and this is extremely important, he says the importance of the matter committed to his care and the importance of fidelity can be measured only by the consequences of his labor to those souls in an eternal heaven or an eternal hell. Now Barnes was writing there about ministers and particularly had in mind pastors of churches, preachers, and so forth. But we ought to be very careful to note that the word minister in Scripture is translated simply as a servant. And all of us are servants. And whenever you think about quitting the Lord's service, you have to think about the effect that it's going to have on others. Not just what it means to you, but what your quitting means to others. And so each of us should think, who is going to be put in danger by my actions? Whose soul is going to suffer because I've stopped the work that the Lord has called me to do? Now, a minister is a servant, and what a servant does is he serves others. He doesn't serve self. And so a servant always has to have the person that he's supposed to serve on his mind first and foremost. And so a quitter is a person who has turned back on his promise to serve Christ and to serve his people. Now, secondly, quitting is unkind. Now, quitting is always a problem, but quitting abruptly is a much worse problem. What John Mark did was to leave Paul and Barnabas in a bind. There was a lot of rough traveling that was ahead, and without his assistance, they, Paul and Barnabas would have to pick up the slack, and as I mentioned a moment ago, they would have to do work that would take them away from uh, the, the primary thing that they were supposed to do. And so without that help, they, they wouldn't be able to accomplish the work of the Lord effectively. And so have you ever thought about that? When you consider your service for the Lord, have you thought about the load that it's going to put on others when you leave the work? I really feel bad sometimes when I go on vacation because I know that when I do that, it puts a heavy burden on others. Now, Brother Dalton back here, he has plenty of things to do, plenty of work to do, and it throws an extra burden on him when I'm not here. 
And those men that I called on, other men that I called on to preach while I was gone, they have jobs, they have other things that they have to do, and I know that it puts a burden on them to do what what I do. Well, knowing that, what I do is I return. I, I may be gone for a little while, but I always come back. Like a bad habit, some of you think, I seem to return all the time. I heard an amen over there. But, there, you know, there are some times when I get in the car and I put down that top on my car and I get out on the open road and I think, oh, this feels so good. I don't think that I'll go back. But I always come to my senses because I know this, that doing the Lord's work is the most satisfying thing that you can do. Serving your church and the people of God is a satisfying thing to do. And so I, I come back because what I could never do is leave here and just go sit on the sidelines at somebody's church and watch, watch other people do the work. Now, I thank the Lord for this, and, and this is not a matter of tooting my horn, but this is something that I learned from my dad very, when I was very, very young. And that is, he expected that as we were growing up, when we got ready to work in the church, we were supposed to be working in the church. And uh, I took a job at a very young age in the church, and I've stuck with it ever since because I was taught that's what I was supposed to do. That's what Christians do. We give our, we lend our hands to help in the Lord's work. And so I've never been somebody who was just going to sit on the sidelines and watch other people do the work. And I'm happy to say that we have many people in Berean Baptist Church that just take on job after job after job, and they just keep on going because they're learning that lesson. God wants us to do his work because... We're the only ones that can do it. Now, what we find is that when there is a desire for this, when there is a burden for it, that God impresses that person and, and he really, uh, well, you have the burden, he gives you the desire to work on that burden that he's given you. Well, this is what we find with the Apostle Paul and with Barnabas, but not with John Mark. Now, you think about this as well, that quitting is a selfish action, It's unkind to others because it transfers the burden of work that you're supposed to do to other people. And what we're supposed to do as the people of God, we are to think of others. And the Word of God says that we are to bear one another's burdens, not heap more on them the burdens that we have and cause them to carry it while we walk away from it. Now, someone has well said that many hands make light work. And this is when the ministry of the Lord becomes so pleasurable and enjoyable for everybody when everybody is sharing the load of the work of ministry. Now, thirdly, we can say that quitting is unspiritual. There's nothing in quitting that says that a person is a spiritual person. We call it carnality. We call it living according to the fleshly nature. And what the fleshly nature always does, it subverts the spiritual. Now, your flesh might feel better. Not as much work to do. You feel better. You have more time for yourself. You can do what you want. But while you're doing that, the spiritual man always suffers. Now, what Paul wrote for us to do was that we are not to give in to the flesh, and quitting is an act of the flesh. And what quitting does is to put us in a tug of war of the spiritual man against the fleshly nature that's still in us. And what we have been commanded to do is put aside the old man to put down the fleshly nature and we're to live in the new man that has actually been recreated for the purpose of doing God's work. That's how we're supposed to live. Now you'll find that unspiritual people make bad decisions. Much of the counseling that goes on in church is because of bad fleshly decisions. And there's never a Christian that's going to look back on his life and say... I wish that I hadn't done as much as I did for Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen. But this does happen, and that is Christians that look back on their life and say, it's wasted. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And they come down to the end of their life, and they're sorrowful about that, because they know that they have missed out on so many of God's blessings because they just weren't faithful to pay attention, to stick to the work, and do what the Lord would have them to do. Now, you'll find also in church that there are many people that think they're spiritual when they're really not. 
And you can spot those people because these are the kinds of people that don't like to hear these kinds of messages. When the pastor starts to step on their toes because of what they're doing, they don't like that. And you may not realize this, but there are people in the church that, that stop listening to some of the messages. Sometimes they don't even come because they don't like the subject that I may be speaking about. And so they think, well, I'm good to go. I've got the subjects that I like, and I think that I know what I'm doing, so I'm not going to come and hear what the pastor has to say about that. And they've already decided what's good for them. And I can tell you that's not a spiritual Christian. A spiritual Christian is never one that subverts the work of the pulpit ministry. A spiritual Christian is never one who subverts the work of the people that are doing the work. Now, some have decided they're just not going to involve themselves, and some that are involved, even, will undermine what's been done, or what's been uh, being preached at from the pulpit. And I have to tell you that a person who does that is the worst of the unspiritual fleshly lot. Now, God's plan, according to Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, is to put pastors and teachers into the church to edify the body of Christ. And through their teaching, through their ministry, they teach other people to learn how to do the work of the ministry. If you have a plan that works better than that, I wish that you'd come and tell me. I do know this, that God's plan is a spiritual plan... And if you're not on his plan, there's no way that you can be a spiritual Christian. Now, let me move on to another dynamic about quitting, and that is the cause of quitting. Now, the cause of John Mark's departure is not certainly known. The Scripture doesn't say, well, here is the reason. This is the thing that caused all of this. This is why John Mark quit. The Scriptures doesn't tell, doesn't tell us that, but... We can take some common causes for quitting and we can apply those and perhaps we'll find that some of them might apply to John Mark's case. I don't know specifically, but I can say that these are causes generally. What might be a cause of quitting? I think number one would be a lack of courage. I can well imagine that that was a part of this issue. Now, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11... We can see why it took courage to move around the Roman Empire preaching the gospel of Christ. And here in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul gives us some of his experiences that actually took place in the book of Acts that, that we read there about his work with the churches. Now, this is what he says happened to him in 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 24. He said, "...of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one." Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren." And weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now going back to Acts chapter 13, it was Paul's plan that he would leave Perga and travel to Antioch in Pisidia. And the way that you get there from Perga is to go over mountains with snow-covered peaks. There were narrow mountain pathways, uh, passes to traverse. And these were the kinds of places that were the favorite places for thieves and robbers. And that's because once you were there, there was no escape route. It's said that the Roman army had given up on, on uh, protecting travelers that went through that area because it was such difficult terrain. And so if you decided that you were going to make that journey, you were out there on your own, and there were no call boxes to help you if you got in trouble. And then the next issue was, once you got through those mountain passes, if you were fortunate enough to survive that, that you descended uh, to a high desert plain that had its own degrees of difficulties. And then adding to that were, was the people that were there. They were practically barbarians, and it's thought 
that this trip here in Acts chapter 13, which describes or actually describes or is described by all these perils that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that this was the journey he was talking about. And so the way that Paul chose to go was a very intimidating way, and a young man like John Mark may not have been up for that. But then we have to think, who was? How do you make a journey like that unless you have the courage to do it, unless you have the faith in God that makes that possible? Where is the strength to even do this? Where would Paul and Barnabas get the strength to do it? Well, great faith, or great courage rather, comes from great faith. A few weeks ago, a pastor in another country wrote to me, and he'd been listening to sermons on the Internet, and he told me and wrote to me and said that he appreciated what he heard over the Internet because the sermons were such an encouragement for him to stand for the truth in difficult places. Now, this man preaches in the UAE and also in India. And I wrote back to him and I told him, you're the one that has my respect because I'm preaching here from the safety of an American pulpit where I receive no serious challenges no matter who I offend or what I may say. I'm not in danger here of someone coming in and stopping me or killing me for preaching the gospel. I mean, I'm in a safe bunker here in the Brian Baptist Church. But there's a man who's out on the firing lines preaching the gospel in places where his life can be in danger and there is, there is much peril there. So sometimes it takes great courage not to quit. But then I have to look over our congregation and apply that to what I've just told you. I mean, are you in serious danger in war-torn Ronard Park? I don't think so. And when we look at that, it really heaps disgrace on us that we would want to quit the work of the Lord when there were men like Paul and Barnabas who would not quit when they faced every sort of danger. Now, what is another reason for quitting? Well, I think a second one would be lack of compassion. Perhaps John Mark didn't care about seeing barbaric Gentiles saved. And with his background, we could see why that, that would be hard. There wasn't any Jew that cared very much for Gentiles. And there's no doubt about this, that the Apostle Paul had to overcome much prejudice in order to preach to Gentiles the gospel of Christ. He described himself as being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, which means no contact with Gentiles. Saving Gentiles was not a burning passion. Now, protecting Judaism from the intrusion of Gentiles, that was a more likely case. And so it took great and powerful Holy Spirit persuasion to change his thinking from a passion for killing to a compassion for saving. And we find that this is often a problem for us, that caring caring can go out the window when we have to minister to people who are not like us. That can be difficult at times. And then there's just the general problem that there are people who aren't committed to the work. That These are not people with compassion. I mean, which Christians would quit? Which ones quit that you characterize as being people of great love and compassion? That's not even possible. It's compassion that actually drives ministry. And if the compassion is great enough, you won't quit. And that leads me to the inevitable, the third reason, and that is just lack of commitment. And can't we say that commitment is the thing that really undergirds the entire issue? People quit because there is a lack of commitment. Sometimes courage is weak. Sometimes our faith is feeble. Sometimes our love is lacking. But if your commitment is strong enough, it'll cause you to fight through those weaker moments that you have. And as your courage increases through each of those, your courage actually becomes formidable and your faith becomes formidable and the love that you have for people excels. If your commitment is strong, it'll keep you going until such time that God strengthens you through the experiences in the areas that you're lacking to grow in grace. And that's the way that God works. The greater the difficulties are, the greater you face, the more that God supplies the grace to overcome them. And the Apostle Paul said that God's grace is sufficient. It, it covers all of our deficiencies. Missionary J. Hudson Taylor told a story about commitment. There was a man who 
came to him from Scotland. This man was a one-leg school teacher. And he approached J. Hudson Taylor with an offer to help him in his ministry in China. And Hudson Taylor looked at him and he asked him, he said, Why with only one leg do you think of going as a missionary? And this man said, Because I don't see people with two legs doing it. And isn't that true? Commitment helps you to overcome all the deficiencies. And we have to understand this, that when God calls us to the work, he grants no excuses. Now, we have a lot of excuses that we offer. God doesn't accept excuses. And you know why? Because his grace is always sufficient to cover every issue. Every problem that we have, God supplies the grace. And if you're committed to what God calls you to do, you can be sure of this. He's going to answer all of the objections you have with bigger doses of his grace. And then you will remember this. Jesus said in Luke 9, 62, Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That is a very formidable statement for a, uh, for a quitter to consider. Now lastly, we consider tonight the cost of quitting. Failure always costs something. Later, we, we noticed that John Mark did improve. He got back into the service. He became useful in the ministry. Several years later, Paul wrote to Timothy with a comment about Mark's usefulness to him. And he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And God did use John Mark. I mentioned in the beginning, that he wrote the gospel of Mark. So even though he was unfaithful, he recovered. But unfortunately, that didn't really change what he lost between Acts 13.13 13 and 2 Timothy 4.11. Now consider the cost of quitting. What does it cost you? First is lack of privileges. What did he give up? Well, here was John Mark traveling with the greatest missionary of all time. What's the value of that experience? You know, when I sit in my office and I'm working on sermons, I look at the shelves around me, and on those shelves there are books by some of the greatest preachers that have ever lived. And I look at those books and I wonder, what would it have been like to sit under the ministry of those men, to hear them preach, and just to have a part of the ministry that they did? And as great as men like Matthew Henry and John Gill and Jonathan Edwards and Spurgeon and many of the others that I have there, there's none of them that compares to Paul. Paul had more to do with the development of the Christian church than any other person. And I say this very cautiously and reservedly, that even the founder, the cornerstone of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, did not do as much in the development of the church as Paul did. Now, of course, Jesus gave him the principles. He laid down the principles that Paul expanded upon and Paul taught. And, of course, Christ was working with him and in him all the way through everything that he did. He's the one that gave the great understanding of the church. But the thing that John Mark missed was to see all of that action up close. I mean, he was involved with the greatest missionary of all time. He was involved with a man who could answer any question that he had about Scripture. As I look at those commentaries in my office and all the preachers who wrote these things, I'm dealing with a lot of dead men, some that are living men, and they're wrong sometimes about Scripture. But the Apostle Paul was a living, breathing commentary on the things of God. He was giving Scripture. What a great privilege to miss out on that. And yet, that's what Don John Mark did. Now, you ever thought about what a privilege it is to serve Christ? Now, maybe there are people, people that don't notice what you do. You, you may not have a highly visible job like the pastor has. You know, it kind of freaks me out sometimes when people say to me, well, you're the face of the church. And that may be true in a certain sense. I'm the face of the church. And you may not have a job like that, and most of you don't. You don't get to stand in the pulpit and to preach and do this week after week. But... Not having that recognition, really, what difference does that make? Why does it really matter? Pride never did anything but destroy. And people aren't your master anyway. If you labor in obscurity, it doesn't matter. 
That, that's not really a problem. If it does bother you, then your service to the Lord is deficient anyway. Recently, I was reading a review by a young man who was commissioned by a church to go to one of the popular independent Baptist conferences. And he was to go there to listen to the preaching to see what it was like and whether he should contact someone in that group who might consider being a candidate to be the pastor of his church. And this young man, man's review was, was quite interesting and really reflective of my own experiences in attending some of those conferences. And he mentioned in his review how much self-glory that there was, how much applause that there was for preachers and the constant promotion by self and others of the preachers. And he went away dejected and disgusted, not even staying to hear all of the conference. And he wrote in his article that those men were not preaching for the glory of God. And he said if they were, they were seriously misguided about it. Paul said in Galatians 1 verse 10, For do now I pers- or for our, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And here's the first thing you have to learn about your service to the Lord. Or one of the things, the first things, is that your service is to God, not to men. And if we ever get to the place that we preach to promote men, whether it's others or self, then we're not serving Christ. And should you get no recognition for anything that you do, should you get no applause for any work that you do, remember that we serve the Lord Christ. His approbation is all that's needed. Now, the second thing that it costs you is the loss of opportunity. Whose life do you have the opportunity to influence? Now, the truth is, we influence people positively or negatively every day. And unfaithfulness is not an encouragement to other people. Now, you personalize that for just a moment as to what kinds of things that you lose. And I I mentioned this a few weeks ago. You think about, for instance, how Brother Tabor has influenced almost every child that's come through this church. So if your kids are rotten, blame him. But how many, how many children have heard messages from Brother Tabor and as they get older, they learn what they're supposed to do in relation to Jesus Christ? How am I supposed to live? What am I to believe? And if they didn't get that kind of information at home, they get it here. And if they got it at home, they get it reinforced here. And there are other teachers, not just Brother Tabor, other teachers in our church that do the very same thing. How do you put a price on those opportunities that you miss by quitting? Tabor has been faithful. And I think of another, Patsy back here. You know, she's touched the life of almost every toddler that's come through the church. And she passes them on to another class with a firm foundation for the next teacher to build on. How much do you miss when you quit of those kinds of opportunities? You can't put a price on that. You can't put a price on the opportunities that you've had to touch the lives of these young people. So what do you miss? Well, kids grow up, and they may come back years later, and they say, you taught me in Sunday school. I remember in our church in Kentucky, there was a a man who was just a riveting personality for children. He loved children, and they loved him. He's the one that actually taught me how to drive a church bus, and I helped him and his ministry on a church bus. And I saw after many years that there were young people that had gotten away or seemed to have gotten away, and they came back and they said, I remember Buck Robinson. He was my bus driver and he was my teacher. Those are priceless opportunities that you miss when you quit. Now, thirdly, what what it costs you is the loss of respect. Quitting costs you respect. See, for years, Paul had no respect for John Mark because he turned back. He left Paul and Barnabas in a lurch, you might say, and he just left a bad taste in Paul's mouth. I want you to turn to chapter 15 in Acts, and let's see what happened when Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on the next missionary trip. In Acts chapter 15, near the end of this chapter, in verse number 36... They were 
Paul and Barnabas were preparing to go again on a missionary journey. And it says here, in some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, or some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. Now Paul was none too impressed with John Mark. And taking him was so repulsive to him that it ended this great relationship that he had with Barnabas. At least as far as traveling with him as a missionary... So Paul had no respect for John Mark, and it took a whole lot to get his respect back. And this reminds us that in leadership, you had better be careful about what you do. You can lose respect because of some dumb decision, some mistake that you make, some way that you mishandle things, and that causes doubt in many people's minds, and it's hard to get back to a respected place of leadership. Now, this we know that the Bible teaches us that we are supposed to forgive people. When they, when they sin and they come back, it says to forgive them, and we do. But we're also very cautious about putting someone into the ministry who has quit before because that is damaging to the Lord's work. It puts it in danger. So I think that what we do is we scrutinize even more the second time when a person says, I want to help. Now, we might excuse ourselves the first time around and say, well, I misjudged, I didn't really know that, and, and uh, the, the first time was a mistake. But the second time makes us more accountable to God. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And so do you see what you, what you really face here? It, maybe it doesn't matter to you. I mean, if you're a true believer, if, if you're not faced with the people that you've hurt because you've quit, if... You're not shamed by them. I know this, that you're going to stand before the Lord one day and you do have to give an answer to him. You're going to face God for not continuing the work that he's given you to do. I remember a few years ago that there was a young man who sought a ministry in Berean, a ministry that was a very important ministry, and he thought that the best way to go about it was to go around from house to house bearing gifts in support of his cause. And so he thought that what he would do was go around the core leadership of the church to get what he wanted. But all that he managed to do was to lose respect. There was one person who came to me, he approached me with this, and he said, that young man has lost my respect. There was another man that said to me that he tried this with, he said, that young man is never going to serve in leadership in this church I don't really have too much respect for that person even today, even though he works in another ministry. Now, I do hope that he's changed his ways, that he's learned better than that. But this is the problem. You go about things the wrong way and you lose respect. And what happened here was that John Mark, his reputation suffered because of what he did. Now, I don't really know the reasons for his departure, but this I do know, that Paul did not accept the reason... And that's why we have Acts chapter 15. If it was okay, then we never would have seen the problem that happened in Acts chapter 15. Now, one more comment that I want to give you is that quitting is always loss. Whether it's privileges, whether it's opportunity, whether it's respect, you're not going to gain by being a quitter. You always lose. Always. Hebrews chapter 11 is not known as the hall of failure. It's known as the hall of faith. It's known... For people who persevered in their faith. So how much faith do you have? You know this, that you are in the process of writing your own account that is read by every person who is a member of the Berean Baptist Church. It's hard to retreat from what you've written. Someone told me at this at the door the other night, that you can take back what you can say and you can deny it, but once it's written, you have to stand by it. And I'll add something to that here at Berean. We record it too. So you got it on a CD and it's on a file on the internet. Now with that in mind, the Apostle Paul wrote, Do we begin 
again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. The real man that the Apostle Paul was, was written in his heart by his actions. There was no false teacher that could elevate himself above the Apostle Paul because Paul's work spoke for him. His work was the evidence of his heart. And that's exactly where you need to be. Who you are and what you are is written with indelible ink by your actions. You quit, and what will you be known for? Quitting. If you quit, you'll be known for quitting. Quitting is never a good commendation for a Christian. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and, Lord, we look at the subject that we have tonight and we see how important it is to remain faithful to you. There is so much work to be done, so many people that need to be reached, so many children that need to be taught, so many things that go on in the church that we really can't afford to have people say that they will do these things and quit. We need people to begin in the first place, but we also need people to remain faithful to the work. And if that means year after year, Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year, then so be it. This is the work that you've called us to do, and you haven't given us a place in anything, in any place in the Word of God that says that it's all right to stop working for you. This is the lot for our life. This is the cause that we've been called for. This is the mission that you've given. Lord, help us to remain faithful in your service all of the time. Bless your people tonight, Lord. Draw us closer to you and help us stay in the work no matter what it costs. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.